the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Are you guys ready to get into the Word of God? I thought I'd start by telling the story I probably told before... Uh, Don't worry, it's not about you this time. Okay, This is before I met you. I was working at FedEx, and me and a buddy of mine decided to jump seat. You could take those planes, you know. We decided to jump seat to Colorado to go snow skiing. He had gone skiing before, and he said, I should be able to pick it up pretty quick. <laughs> oh, them Colorado folks had no idea what they were in for when this Mississippi boy showed up in his orange, bright orange FedEx jumpsuit out on their white slopes. That's the only thing I had to keep me warm. You know, everybody else was out there dressed all nice. But anyway, we went into the little gift shop where you signed and got the lift tickets and everything, and you, you rented your skis. And so I got these skis, and I put them on, and I was leaning forward like this because they have like an angle. And I, and I was like, is this right? I think y'all gave me the wrong skis or something. And I was leaning forward so bad that I could have swept the the ground with my nose hair. I mean, it was just like, this ain't right. And so it was very awkward. And the guy at the counter noticed that I wasn't used to any of this snow skiing lingo or any of this. I didn't know how things worked. He said, um, might I suggest that you get some skiing lessons before you go down the hill? I said, no, I got all that. I'll figure it out on the way down, no problem, you know. He said, you sure? I said, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. So I got my ski, I was trying to walk out, and it was an open door, and then it was like a little gradual slope down to this rope line where people were waiting in line to get on the ski lift to go up the mountain. Well, I got my skis on that snow, and when it hit that snow, that slick, I started going faster and faster down this hill, and I was doing this number here, and I started busting through the ropes and the people, and I just carried the whole thing down with me. It just busted right through the whole rope. And it took me like 20 minutes to get back up, because have you ever tried to get up on snow skis? And so I'm, I, I got poles everywhere, and I'm, st- I'm trying to stand up, and everybody's giving me the evil eye. They're like, ski lessons. <laughs> yeah, there's a little ski lesson place over there. I said, no, I, I got this. <laughs> and that was the story of my early life. I always refused instructions. I always thought I could figure it out on my own, right? Oh, I'll get it as we go. I don't need nobody to tell me. I didn't never read the instruction manual while putting the swing set together or anything. I'd end up with the whole bag left of screws, you know. I didn't know where they went, but <laughs> but I was just barreling through the ropes of life and taking down a lot of good people with me because I always refused instruction. And it's amazing to me that uh, Brother Chad said what he did at the end of the song service today about the Bible and about prayer because that's exactly what God wants to get across to us today. That's exactly what we're going to talk about. Psalms 119.67. 
It says, I used to wander off until you disciplined me, but now I closely follow your word. Is that anybody else's testimony? (laughs) I used to wander off. I used to wander right through the ropes of life until I finally got disciplined, until I came to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I value in his, his instructions. I'm going to be listening for his word. I hope that's your testimony. Last week, we talked about Hezekiah. King Hezekiah, you remember, he, he was given a report that he was going to die. He turned his face to the wall. He cried, and then he cried out to God. He prayed. He earnestly prayed. And then God came back and told him he's given him 15 more years. So he learned the value of prayer. And I had, I had started the sermon by saying, that God, you know, not only stopped the rotation of the earth, but he turned it backwards. And I never even got to that part of the the story. But when Hezekiah prayed and God told him that he was going to give him 15 more years, Hezekiah says, well, how can I be sure that you're giving me 15 more years? And God says, well, do you want me to turn the sundial forward 10 degrees or back 10 degrees? And he says, well, it's already going forward. You know, the clock already goes this way. He said, I want you to turn it back 10 degrees. And God did that for him. And that's why I say that the only way he could have done that is to turn, to stop the earth and turn it backwards 10 degrees. That's the power of prayer. God will not only stop the rotation of the earth. You say, well, uh, if you have faith, you, you can move mountains. Mountains are nothing for God. If he can stop the rotation of the earth, actually turn it back. So last week we discussed the power of prayer in our lives. And this week, well, We're going to discuss Hezekiah's great-great-grandson, Josiah. Would you believe that Hezekiah was such a good man? He was a good king. He was one of the few. He was a good king of Judah. But his son, Manasseh, went right back to the evil ways of his forefathers. Just It's like goodness skips a generation sometimes, isn't it? It doesn't have to. And so then Manasseh had another son. I think his name was Ammon. And Ammon was even more evil. It was like they were trending in the wrong direction. And you can look at your history. You can see, oh, my great-great-grandfather, he was a good man, but then my great-grandfather, he, he, did, he went off the rail or whatever. So it, just because your parents went to church don't make you a good person, does it? Every person has to decide for themselves. And I hope you're here today to decide for yourself that you need the Word of God in prayer. And that's what God's trying to get across to us today. Josiah, he was eight years old. He was the great-great-grandchild of Hezekiah. And I wonder, how did Josiah, when he was eight years old when he became king because his dad died early, how did he become a good king off the bat? Because you know what? If your dad's bad, that don't mean you got to be bad. Maybe your mom is there of a praying woman. Or maybe he was kept by some people you know, at the Passion Nursery or something that taught him Jesus. That's why it's so important for us as a family of God to pitch in and help these families that need help. Because we can help raise their children to be good kings, good queens. Anyway, I'm getting off track. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. (laughs) Can you imagine having that responsibility at eight years old? And when he was 26 years old, he began to try to restore the temple of God because under the rule of Manasseh and Ammon, they had let things go. 
And so he decided they just turned it into a junk pile. It was, it was not honoring God at all. So he collected all the money and began to say, let's rebuild the temple. Let's put, let's put new frames around the doors that are falling in and all this stuff. So he began to work on the temple. And when they began to work on the temple, one of the workers found the written word of God that had been neglected for the past two kings. It was all dusty. The Bible, basically. The, the written word that they had, the Old Testament that they had, the scriptures that they had, the prophets of that time. And they brought it to King Josiah. And King Josiah had someone read it to him. And it touched his heart. See, this word will touch your heart. It touched Josiah's heart to the place where he said, I can't just keep this in. we got to do something about this. He said, gather all of Judah, all of Jerusalem, all of Judah. And they gathered all the people, not just some of the people, but he commanded all the people to come. And they had the word read to all the people. Can you imagine? I wish we could do that today. Just call a great assembly here in Horn Lake, Mississippi, and everybody must show up, and we're just going to read you the Bible. <laughs> but that's the way you could do back when there was kings, right? So he just... Uh, gathered a great assembly, he read the word of God to it and to him, and then he recommitted the whole kingdom. He re recommitted his whole heart and soul to doing the word of God. And then if, if you want to read about the things he did, you can see it in 2 Kings chapter 23. Josiah commanded things like the, all the idols that they had in the temple. He commanded that they be uh, taken out of the temple. Yeah, I know it's, it's crazy, isn't it? But false worship in the house of God. They were honoring other gods in God's house. So he commanded those things be taken out. He fired all the priests that were allowing those things to happen. Then he tore down the booths of the Sodomites. <laughs> they had homosexuals practicing prostitution in the temple. That's how much they were disrespecting God. And then he stopped the practice of passing their children through the fire to honor the God, the false God, Molech. I don't know if you know what that is, but I looked it up. And they would, they would throw their babies into a fire. Child sacrifice. To honor well, they said to honor this false God. But I wonder, was it to honor themselves like modern day abortion? And then he tore down and he pulverized all the ungodly altars and the high places and the groves and all throughout all of Judah, wherever there was false religion, he pulverized it. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he even executed the priest of these false religions. And today we'd say, oh, that's extreme. That's extreme talk. We can't do that. Second Kings 23, 25 says, Now before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with his whole heart, with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him, did any arise like him? So it seems like God was pleased that he went whole hog. That he says, we're not standing for these things. 
And the reason people stand for these kind of things, especially in the temple of God, is friends in society as a whole, is why? Because they don't know the Word of God. Because the Word of God had been sitting under some junk pile somewhere, all dusty and unread. And nobody knows the commandments of the Lord. Nobody knows the covenant that God has cut with us. And as people of God, shouldn't we know? A return to the Word of God will spark revival like nothing else. Some of you are bored with your life right now. You're just going through the motions and you're thinking, well, I'm just going to live my rest of my life by the TV guide or this is my work schedule and this is the way it's always going to be. Get into the Word of God and watch it bring revival into the way you live. It will stir you and understand the importance of what you're doing here. Man, it will bring revival to this. It will turn a nation around. This is the only hope for America right here. It's the only thing that will turn a nation around. It turned the whole nation of Judah around. Hezekiah, his great-great-grandfather, had discovered the power of prayer. He gave him 15 more years because he prayed. Josiah discovered the Word of God. And what if we as Christians... What if we put both of them together? Shouldn't we put both of these together? Do you have both of them together in your life? I'm shocked at how many Christians don't read their Bible. I'm shocked. I'm shocked that they tell me openly, oh, I don't read the Bible, Pastor. I don't like reading. I can't understand the King James... And, and, and you're saying, are we going there again, Pastor? <laughs> you're always getting on us about not reading the Bible. Well, are you reading the Bible yet? Because you're the same people that come to me and say, I can't hear God's voice. Read your Bible, it's God's voice. You say, I don't know God's will for my life. Read your Bible. It's God's will and testimony. <laughs> He said, well, I don't think it's for me. Read your Bible. It'll change the way you think. <laughs> Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Oh, woe to us if we live an average life when we have access to God Almighty through prayer and to, to His Word and instructions for life. Woe to us if we just live an average life. We're not called to follow the strange, ungodly customs of this world. We're called to shine as lights in this dark world. There's so much more for you. We expect that we can find God's calling and God's will for our life apart from His written instructions? Really? <laughs> I hadn't been able to get past Colossians 3.3 3 for about several months now. If you've heard me preach on Wednesdays and a couple of Sundays, I've mentioned it. Colossians 3.3 3 says, Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And I got to thinking, you mean there's a real life? 
Think about that. If God says there's your real life is hidden with Christ in God, that assumes that you might not be living your real life. I wonder how many sitting in church all across America today that's not living their real life. Well, you say, well, I want to live my real life. I mean, if God has a life that he intended for me to live, which I know could be better than anything I could find on my own. I want to live that. What if I'm what if I'm not living my real life right now? What if you're not living your real life? Well, Pastor, I I want to live my real life. I, how do I find my real life? Well, it says your real life is hidden. Well, if it's hidden, where I find it? It's hidden with Christ. You ain't going to find it apart from your relationship with Jesus. If you want to live your real life, you're going to have to have a relation with Jesus. Through prayer and through the Bible. Because the first chapter of the Gospel of John says that Jesus is the Word of God. These are his thoughts. This is his book. You read this. This this is fellowshipping with Jesus right here. This is searching out your real life right here. It is. You want your real life, but you say you don't want to read the Word. Well, you're not going to find it. You're going to live this whatever will be, will be life. With no purpose and no direction. And God's saying there's so much more. So much more. There's so much more. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Jesus is the Word of God. And John 1, 4 says, The Word of life gave, uh, the Word gave life to everything that was created. And His life brought light to everyone. Illumination. Psalms 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. I don't have to walk in darkness. But without the Bible, we're stumbling through the darkness and we're groping and hoping and just wondering if one day we might fall into something good with no direction. Get lucky. Yeah, we're looking for luck. Christians don't have to rely on luck. Christians should be living on a, a firm foundation, not groping and hoping. And I've said this a lot lately, but it bears repeating. If I said I wanted to go to Madison's house, and I went out there and got in my car, I'm going to Madison's house. I got good intentions. My intention is to go to Madison's house. I crank the car up. I start driving. I think to myself, I don't know where she lives. I don't know the directions to Madison's house. But that's all right. I'll just drive until I find it. And so we don't know what city, what street. We don't even know if she lives in Mississippi. And we're driving and we're driving. And what's going to happen? We're going to run out of gas before we find Madison's house. And that's what's going to happen. Your life is going to run out before you find your calling. If you don't have an address to your calling, 
If you don't know directions to your calling, you're going to eventually run out of gas and never find your real life. You don't find it by accident. God hid it. Well, you got me all excited now, Pastor, but I don't like to read. See, the devil's telling you that. The devil's telling you you don't like to read the Word of God. Because see, the devil knows if Christians ever begin to read the Word of God, he's done for. If we ever begin to read the Word of God and get the truth in us, we'd never fall for his lies and deception anymore. He's out to do four things. I wrote them down. He's out to deceive. He, he's the one telling you, oh, you'll find it. Just keep driving. I'm sure it's down that road. They're paying five more dollars an hour. I'm sure you should take that job. Yeah, that's your calling. I'm sure of it. Yeah, take that road. The devil's just dangling a carrot in front of your face and you just blindly following along in the darkness, groping and hoping. He's out to deceive you. To think that you can find yourself apart from the Word of God. He's out to divide us. To divide our attention. He's out to divide us as people. He's out to keep us so angry at one another. That we never find ourselves. That we never do anything productive. He's out to discourage us. He's out to divert us. Revelations 12, 9 says, Satan has deceived the whole world. He's deceiving the whole world. Woe to us as Christians. We are to know better. I went, I was preaching uh, this Sunday night at the jail and this guy was in there and he was talking. Uh, he had some questions. He said, I want to know why God made angels. Because it seemed to me that angels are no good. They did evil stuff. And why would God create, create angels? And I said, what are you talking about angels? I said, now I only see in the Bible four angels named. It's like Michael, Gabriel, the devil was an angel. And Abaddon, I think, was an angel named in Revelation. And, and uh, you know, the devil, we know he, he, he took the other angels, a third of the angels, with him into his uh, rebellion. And they were cast out of heaven. But the, the angels that, you know, I don't see what you're talking about. What do you mean that the angels are bad? He says, well, you know, the, all the, the evil stuff that they do and stuff. I said, well, I only see where they were, you know, they told Mary they're messengers. And the Bible says that they're fiery messengers sent to, to, to uh, minister to the saints. They're here to help us as Christians. I said, where are you getting all this? He, I said, give me the chapter. Where, where are you reading this? He said, oh, it's not in the Bible. It's in these other books I'm reading.
Where are you getting your theology? Don't get it from me. You better back up what I'm saying with the Word of God. The Bereans, man, Paul himself was preaching to them and they would back it up with the Word of God. They would get in there and say, is that God telling the truth? I'm telling you. How do you know when the devil's lying to you if you don't know the truth? There's some wild and wacky theology out there. It's because the Christians are not reading their Bible. You can't please God either without faith. Without a faith born of the truth. I mean, you can have faith in those books that that guy was reading, but that's not the kind of faith that pleases God. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith come by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It's impossible to please God without faith, but you got to have the right faith. And it comes by the Word of God. So how can you please God if you don't read your Bible? You don't have faith. Or you may have faith in something that's not real. But the faith that pleases God comes from the Word of God. The Bible is our spiritual sustenance. When you got born again, you got a new spirit. Your other spirit was dead. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. You were not alive to God. Your spirit was dead. But God sent His Spirit into your heart. And He revived you. And you became a living being in communion with God, with His Spirit. And if you don't feed your spirit on spiritual food, you will be the same way that your natural body would be if you didn't feed it. You're starving to death. And I'm telling you, just a little uh, Sunday lunch is not enough to sustain you, to get you to your calling, to get your life to the place it needs to be in the Lord. The Bible is our spiritual substance. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus says, people do not... Live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And in John 6, 63, it says, The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. This is your life. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. This is your life. His words are, are their, their spirit. They feed your spirit. And they bring life into your otherwise boring and misdirected life. They bring meaning. They're your GPS for life. God positioning system. You don't have to drive around hoping anymore. You have the GPS. And the Bible is so sweet. It not, only, it not only anchors your thinking, but it cradles your heart. How many of you are just, you're broken. The cares of this life and the, and the craziness of this existence is is making you want to pull your hair out. The Bible.
gives you such a firm foundation to stand upon. Isaiah 26, 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. The Bible brings us great peace in a chaotic world. Man, I'm so happy that I know what God says. I'm so happy that I don't have to listen to those lies. Jesus says there's two kind of ways to build a life. You can just throw up your house on the shifting sand and say that's good enough. Or you can dig down deep. And you can build your house on the Word of God. Because the storms of this life are coming. And when they come to your door, is your house going to stand? Is it on a firm foundation? You know this word is living. It'll speak to your situation today. We read the Bible, but it reads us too. At the same time, while you're reading the Word of God, it is reading you. It is giving you a gauge. Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is alive and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes us. Why? So that we can see what we need to change. It's a mirror reflecting either our Christ-likeness or exposing the shortcomings in our sanctification process. You, you need only to look into the Word of God to say, oh, I need to change this. This is why this is happening in my life. This is why I'm falling in for this deception. This is why I'm miserable. This is why I don't understand how life works. But this will expose and say, hey, this is what you need to do to fix it. But the Bible only changes those who are determined to live by it. <laughs> you know, in America, we're a nation full of biblical scholars. They're on every corner. But who can find a biblical life? Everybody knows they can quote more scriptures than their pastor. But a biblical life, who can find? Because we, the Bible only works for those who do and engage in the Word of God. So basically what I'm saying is, when it's all said and done, do you want the legacy of one of those good kings? Or do you just want to take that broad path, that big dark path that leads to just circling around and finding nothing? Do you want to be known as one of those few good kings like Hezekiah and Josiah? Or do you want to be the Manassehs and the Ammons and the King Ahazes and the 
Jeroboam's. I mean, there's way more of them. Anybody can be one of them. But you need to, you need to undust that Bible. You need to break it open. And you need to do the Word of God in your life. You're the king of your life. You make the determination of what stands in your house. Do you want to please God? Do you want to hear His voice? Do you want to know His will? Do you want to pulverize sin in your life? Have the faith to move mountains, to find the real life He's called you to? Then read and do His Word. Read and do it. And you can do it. You can. You can do it. You can do it. But you got to do it. You could come to me and say, Pastor, I got this new toothbrush. Man, it's the fanciest one I could find. It's this big. It's got like four batteries in it. It's electric. It spins at so-and-so RPMs. The bristles are made out of such and such. Man, this is the fanciest toothbrush on the planet. And I just bought it. And you can brag all day about your new toothbrush, but if you ain't using your new toothbrush, your breath is still stinky and your teeth are still yellow. You can go buy the latest and greatest translation, but if it's just going to sit on your coffee table... You can even read it. But if you don't use it, it's time to stop saying I love Jesus, but I don't read the Bible. It's time. I have preached this message 20 times. And I'm still amazed that afterwards people still say, well, yeah, I don't read the Bible. Still got no plan to read it. You can't love Jesus without reading the Bible right. You can't significantly have one without the other. You got to have both skis to get down this mountain. <laughs> Called life. So there I was in, in this line, and everybody's giving me the evil eye because I done all wiped them all out, and, and I still won't go get ski instructions. And so uh, I'm trying to make my way down this road, you know. And I finally get up to where it's my turn and everybody else has been kind of sliding out there and this ski lift will come by and it'll catch them and just take them gently up into the mountain and take them off somewhere far away. And I said, that doesn't look hard. <laughs> and so I make my way out there, but being six foot four, not knowing how to stand on these things and I'm leaning like this, well, it catches me low and it right around the calf. Instead of bending my knee, it catches my calf and it throws me and my skis go underneath the thing and it, one of them comes off and I manage to hold on and then it takes me up in the sky and I look down and I got a warm sock flailing in the cold mountain air. And I'm thinking, now I'm not a scholar but I'm thinking to myself, if I can't make it from the ski house to the thing, to the ski lift, how am I going to make it down the mountain with just one ski? And so I make an executive decision. I'm only about 10 to 15 feet up in the air at this point. 
So I jumped out of the ski lift. Somehow I survived the fall because I landed in a downhill in this big snowy patch. But I look up and the ski lift operator, who is not a Christian, by the way, and I know this because of the things he's calling me. He has had to pull the big lever on the whole ski lift. The whole mountain has all of a sudden stopped. And he's not happy. And he's calling me stuff. And I'm down at the bottom of this hill, and I'm thinking, will you let me get back up? Because I'm a southern boy. I don't cotton to no Coloradans talking to me like that. So I'm anxious to get back to the top of that hill and show him a new use for these ski poles. And so I'm trying to get back up, but I can't get back up, and I'm fighting up this mountain, and I'm, just, I'm so mad that I wear myself out, and I, I just can't do it. And the poor fellow has to come down there and drag me back up, and by then I've lost my steam, you know. But I got my ski back on, and I eventually got up to the mountain, and I get off the lift, and I make my way and I look and I did not realize how straight down a mountain is. Now I'm talking about, I'm on the easy slope and that thing is like straight down. So I took off. I, I realized why it leans me forward now a little bit. And I said, okay, okay, I got this. I got this. And I said, I'm skiing. I got both skis straight. They told me to do that. And, and I'm, I'm skiing. But then all of a sudden, I'm going faster. And I'm going faster. And I'm going faster. And I'm getting nervous. I'm doing about 60 miles an hour down, straight down this mountain. And see, I, I didn't realize why all they do all that turning and stuff. That's to slow them down. I should have took ski lessons. But I'm doing about 70 miles an hour down this hill. I don't know what to do. So I just... Jump! It was like the crash of the six million dollar man. And about 20 minutes later, I looked up. And there was a ski way over there. One back up the hill. My hat was missing. My gloves were off. My head was sticking out of my armhole in my orange jumpsuit. <laughs> Not really, but it felt like it. Why do I say all of this? <clears throat> we need instructions in this life if we're going to get out of this thing alive. <laughs> if, we're ever if we're ever going to get down this mountain, we need both skis. We need instructions. My goodness, Hezekiah taught us the power of prayer. And Josiah taught us the, the power of the Word of God. We need both skis. You understand what I'm telling to you? You need to read the Word and you need to do the Word. Both skis. Psalms 1, verse 1. says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. Or stand around with sinners. 
or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord. Meditating on it. Day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank. Bearing fruit in each season. And their leaves never wither. And they prosper in all they do. Where did it start? Those who meditate on the Word of God. It will help you produce fruit. It will help you stand strong by the river of God. Immovable. It will bring joy to your life. You won't have to just barely make it through living for the weekend. Paycheck to paycheck. This, this Word is alive. And it's here to bring life to you. And what I would tell you today <clears throat> is that Jesus wants you to know this. Because you remember that video I talked about three weeks ago? I said that I put a video on the website for the new believers. And what do I do now that I got saved? And I said there were seven things that I talked about. And all of those seven things were to lead you to your closeness with Jesus because that's your one thing. Your one thing is to get closer to Jesus. We started a series back then. I didn't tell you that we were starting a series. You know why? It's really sad why I didn't tell you. Because the first two things were on prayer and reading your Bible. And I knew if I told the church that, many of you wouldn't show up. Because I've heard that before. We hear that all the time. I don't need that. I know that. So I didn't even tell you that we had started a series. But the series is entitled The Seven Things. But the, the first two things on the list to get to know Jesus, the one most important thing in every Christian's life, is to draw closer, ever closer to Jesus. And these are the ways you do it. You get on your knees and you pray. You keep that line of communication open day and night and you talk to Jesus. You develop a relationship with Him and you read His love letter to you every day. You meditate on it day and night. This is your lifeline. It's not just something the pastor wants you to do. It's something God told me to tell you to do. He's pleading with you. It's His heart to know you that you might know Him. That you might find your real life. That is God's desire for each of us. for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.